Pantheon Pod fans, we have a special secret just for you. One that is incredibly exclusive and only for you. This fall, Pink Floyd drummer Nick Mason is bringing his own saucerful of secrets band back to the States for a 28-city Echoes tour. And Pantheon has your official hookup. But let's have Nick tell you all about it. Hi, this is Nick Mason. I've spent the last 57 years playing drums with Pink Floyd, but now I'm loving playing live with my own band, exploring the early iconic Floyd tracks. This fall, we're bringing them to the American shores. Join me and my amazing Saucerful of Secrets band on our Echoes tour. And listen to Pantheon podcasts for your chance to grab an exclusive front row VIP experience. Hope to see you at the show. Thanks, Nick. You heard that right. A pair of front row VIP upgrades for many of his North American tour stops. And they can be yours. Of course, that's not all. Included with those seats, you'll get exclusive Saucer Full of Secrets VIP merchandise. Crowd-free shopping at the merch table. Priority check-in to the venue and more just for you, the Loyal Pantheon Podcast listener. And there's more. At most tour stops, Pantheon Podcast hosts will be in attendance and they will greet you and a companion. And you might just make it onto one of our shows as a guest. Make sure you get your tickets now before they sell out. Then enter the contest for the VIP experience at PantheonPodcast.com backslash Nick Mason. Winners will be notified via email one week prior to the event. So don't miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime experience. By the way, which one is pink? Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show, and you definitely got tickets. And drinks. Now hurry and make it back to your spot. Pass this person and that person about 20 more. Ooh, watch out for feet. Hey, just keep going. A little further. Oh, there's your friend. Over here. Right where you want to be. Close enough to see the set list. And they're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. going on in the world of rock and roll we're about to find out together my name is aaron camaro got chris sinzak with me this is the decibel geek podcast and this is new noise the good the bad the stupid the ridiculous a little bit of everything you're gonna get it right here chris what's going on brother all right so went through uh the rock news sites and found some stuff that stuck out to me that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, first story, Kingdom Come has recruited Blas Elias to play, replace James Kotak, at least through the upcoming shows that they have scheduled. And according to Blas Elias, it is because James Kotak is, quote, recovering and getting his health together. But there's another wrinkle to this story because James Kotak put out a tweet basically saying, I will not be performing at the upcoming Kingdom Come shows in in Texas, uh, don't waste your time. <laughs> so I'm wondering if uh, if he's really getting help or if he has been fired and they just haven't announced it yet. I mean, it doesn't sound like it, you know. I don't know. He really messed up that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they sounded like shit, and everyone said, hey, the whole show was great except for those guys. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. And like his excuse at the time, of course, everybody immediately goes, oh, it's got to be his alcohol because, you know, he got part of the reason he got tossed out of Scorpions from what I've heard was his drinking had just gotten to be too much. And, but according to James Kotak, he, the, he was in, he had broken ribs falling out of bed, but I'm thinking, is your bed 30 feet in the air or something or what's going on? How do you break ribs falling out of bed? And Hmm. And also, that was when Tommy Lee had announced he had broken ribs, too. And I'm like, is this an epidemic among drummers for breaking ribs? But I don't know. I mean, it's to me, I just hope the guy gets help and, and works on his sobriety because it seems like he does have a definite problem. 
I mean, it, it appears that way. You know, that's what everybody said once that video came out and showed that it was him that was throwing off the timing of everything that band was trying to do up on stage. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If and I got a bunch, he's a hell of a talent, you know. He really is a damn good drummer. He's done some solo stuff that's pretty cool. I've actually got a couple of James Kotak solo CDs, and some of that stuff is pretty damn good, you know. So he is a real talent. I mean, you don't get to be in bands like the Scorpions if you suck. Right. So, you know, I hope that, you know, I mean, it's one thing to drink and have a good time and everything, but when it starts affecting your job, yeah, you know, whether your job is what, you know, something you or I go to do every single day, or if it's being the drummer of Kingdom Come, when when it gets in the way of your performance, you know, that's when you got to kind of stop and go, all right, you know, is this going beyond having a good time or is this becoming something I'm dependent on? Mm-hmm. And it's get creeping into the area of, you know, causing conflict in my life. Yeah. And I, I hope it's not that, you know, but from all reports, you know, that that's been going on with him for a while well you know read between the lines for them saying we have blast coming in while he works on his health and then james saying on twitter don't waste your time makes me think they said get your shit together and until you do you're not going to play with us and he's pissed about it yeah i mean because otherwise it's not like you're speaking to the fans and as the drummer going don't go see this band because the drummer is not going to be there I don't think they're going to suffer any loss of ticket sales because James Kotak's not playing drums. He's a talented guy, but I don't know, man. I mean, Kingdom, is it really Kingdom Come anyway? I mean, Lenny Wolf's not even singing for them now. So it's, it's, no, no, I think there's like one guy from the original band at this point. I mean, Keith Keith St. John is the guy singing for him and he's a great singer, but I don't know. Um, I'm wondering... I, hopefully the bass player doesn't decide to do another solo. I felt bad for that guy at Sweden Rock. He, it was like the weirdest bass solo I've ever heard, but it, not his fault because I'm sure he got thrown into having to do that. Yeah. So is Blas Elias, is he not with Slaughter anymore? No, he hasn't been with Slaughter for years. They've. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right, because they got Zoltan. Zoltan Chaney, I think is his name. Yeah, um, yeah he, and that guy he, is awesome. Yeah, he puts on a show. Um, but no, I, I mean, forgot Bl- about that. Blas Elias, last I had heard, had gone to start playing with the Blue Man Group in Vegas and was doing that. But in the the press release that Kingdom Come put out, they said that he had been playing with Raiding the Rock Vault, which was a uh, covers thing in Vegas, and also Burning Rain. But that's Doug Aldrich's thing, which they they get together and do stuff just when Doug's not doing Dead Daisies and other projects. Yeah. I remember when Kingdom Come first came out. I actually had that on LP years ago when I was pretty young, and I got it when I was new. I don't remember if somebody got it for me. It had to have been something like that. But I always remember back in the day, everybody gave that band shit for being like trying to be Led Zeppelin clones. Well, that's why I always joke around that. I'm like, everybody says Greta Van Fleet tries to sound like Zeppelin. I say they try to sound like Kingdom Come. Yeah. <laughs> And they get, but that album wasn't bad. It had a pretty it's couple okay. of pretty good songs on it. It's all right. I mean, it's that I remember it was around the late eighties that there's there started to be a wave of nostalgia for Zeppelin and seventies rock. So that that yeah. made sense that 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 they had something going at the time. But I don't know, man. Hopefully James Kotek gets his act together. What was their big song? Was it called "Get It On"? Yeah, "Get It On." Yeah, that's a good song. Oh, I like that one. There's a Vinnie Vincent. Uh, kind of connection to that song i don't know if you've heard about that story no uh -uh. so from somebody that used to post on kiss faq as the sphinx which i have my reasons to believe that it's possibly Vinny himself um this guy would post a lot of inside baseball stuff about Vinny that would be like you know stuff like how how else would you know this stuff maybe maybe it isn't him but one of the stories that he shared was when All Systems Go was about to come out, they were going to put Ashes to Ashes out as like the lead single. And you know, Ashes to Ashes has a big Zeppelin feel to it. Yeah. And the story goes is that somehow the album got delayed or something and Kingdom Come beat them to the punch by putting out Get It On. And 
that the record company got cold feet about putting ashes to ashes out because they're like, there's already a Zeppelin sounding single out there. So they shelved it. Huh? That seems kind of far fetched. I mean, ashes, ashes, I guess sort of does, but it, I mean, it's still Vinnie Vincent invasion. It's still Mark Slaughter singing. So, um, I mean, the kingdom come song, the guy sounds like Robert Plant. Mark Slaughter don't sound like Robert Plant. No, but the guitar riff is very Zeppelin-y. I guess a little bit. That seems weird that they would think that it was such a Zeppelin-sounding song that um, it would interfere with that. I don't know. That seems that seems weird. And that it could was, be. Who knows? That was why um, Love Kills got the nod as the, the lead single, I believe. So, hmm. And that also was connected to the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack, too. That's right. But, uh, yeah, an, an interesting little story there. Um, okay, the, we, we referenced the, this on uh, Radio Sucks, but uh, this was I couldn't resist talking about this. Apparently, Sammy Hagar has revealed that he had a dream, and Eddie Van Halen showed up in the dream, and they wrote a song together. And he's going to, he's planning on recording the song, putting it out, and giving Eddie Van Halen a co-writing credit. Now, I said at the top of the show, the good, the bad, the stupid, and the ridiculous. I see we're getting stupid and ridiculous out of the way right now. Yeah. This is why people don't like Sammy Hagar, because of this kind of shit. Even, let, let's let's put our, let's suspend disbelief for a second and say he really did have a dream, and it really had Eddie in it, and they came up with a song together. Why would you go public with this? Because no, it's a no-win situation. It makes you sound like a goof. It, it does. It's cringeworthy, and it, and it makes you look like you're begging for attention to, you know, you, you want to keep, stay connected to Eddie. And yeah. he, he he even said in the interview, now that's going to be an Eddie-influenced song and blah, blah, blah. But he also was like, he's like, now I know people are going to give me shit for this. I'm like, then why say it? Right, yeah. <sighs> I, I guess if you had a dream and you woke up and like, holy shit, and grabbed your guitar and be like, I got to remember how that went. Yeah. I mean, that's plausible, I suppose. I guess. I mean, it's possible. It seems kind of odd. You know, and again, coming from Sammy Hagar, who says all these ridiculous things all the time, it just is like, oh, add that to the pile of stupid shit that Sammy Hagar said. Now, if he didn't say a million other stupid things leading up to this, that might be pretty cool. Yeah. Now, if Ace Fraley came and said, hey, I had a dream about Eric Carr and we wrote this song together and I woke up right away and wrote down, you know, or, or grabbed my guitar and tried to remember how it went. You'd be, you know what? That's pretty cool. But because Sammy Hagar is known for saying stupid bullshit all the time, this just comes off as another stupid Sammy thing. Yeah. He needs to tone it down or pace it out or something. I'm eagerly awaiting the Mitch Malloy song that was written in a dream with Eddie Van Halen as well. Right. <laughs> I'm sure that's coming next. It was a nightmare. <laughs> the Mitch Malloy Van Halen dream experience. Oh, man. He don't tell you about the next night he had a nightmare and Eddie came back and said, you fucking idiot, knock it off. And then Gary Sharon can put out his own song about a dream. Yeah. I don't know. It's just We all could. I mean, shit. It's comical. I could, I could say, you know, hey. I came up with this. Jimi Hendrix came to me in a dream and taught me how to play this song, you know. And But, I mean, man, it just seems like you're, whole, you're just trying to, yeah, like you said, keep yourself connected. Clearly, Van Halen is the greatest thing that ever happened to Sammy Hagar. Understandable. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. And people say, oh, yeah, Camaro hates Sammy Hagar. I don't totally hate Sammy Hagar. I mean... There are a handful of Van Halen songs with Sammy Hagar that I think are okay. Oh, me too. You know, but when it comes down to like Dave versus Sammy, I'm Dave all the way, you know. But I don't totally hate Sammy's music. But I don't really like Sammy Hagar as, and I can't say because I've never met him personally and I've never spent time with him personally, but the stuff that I read about and the things that he says in the media and like stuff that he said over the years really makes me seem feel like he's kind of a douchebag you know i don't know it's uh like i said even if 
if this dream thing is real, it, I guess it's plausible that he could have had a dream about it. It's possible. I'm not saying it's not, but at the same time, you know you're just going to catch a bunch of flack for saying it out loud. So I just, right. I don't understand why he w- decided to even make that public. Um, if I were him, I wouldn't. And then I saw another story that he basically said if they end up going ahead with like the tribute thing to Eddie, that he doesn't that he probably wouldn't be involved. I'm thinking, is that translation for I wasn't invited? Exactly. Yeah, that's what it comes off sounding like. So I don't know. I mean, because cause Eddie, after we wrote that song, he told me, you know, he really wants me to be a part of that tribute, you know? Uh, yeah. So, you know, Wolfie, if you're out there listening, you know, your dad's coming to me in my dreams and telling me this stuff. So, you know, you really ought to honor his wishes. And all, you, and all you Van Halen fans out there, you really need to, Eddie won't, would want you to buy my new album. Bullshit. He told me in a dream. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm wondering if Wolfie's going to have any response to this because he's never short on words on Twitter. So it'd be interesting to see if he says something. I would imagine it's probably along the same lines of what I just said. Probably. And that's not even my dad, you know? No. So he's coming to you in your dreams, but he don't come to his kid, you know, and help me write songs. Okay, Sammy. I don't know. It just feels like buzzards picking off the scraps of a corpse. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I don't, I just kind of wish we would just let Eddie rest, you know? Yeah. It's, and like you said, if he said to himself, well, I'm going to catch shit for saying this, then don't fucking say it. Yeah. You're just inviting a bunch of shit to get thrown at you for it. But anyway, that's, uh, I thought it was, it was worth commenting on because it's kind of a bizarre thing to say. Yeah. Kind of dumb. Um, Paul Stanley went on Howie Mandel's podcast this week. Howie Mandel and, uh, has a podcast? He does. Well, it's called Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel Does Stuff. It's a podcast hosted with him and his daughter, Jacqueline. Okay. And uh, I didn't watch it. I've, I've seen some quotes and stuff from it. Uh, overall, it's typical Paul Stanley giving the scripted answers he likes to give. The only thing really... Super interesting that came out of it that somebody mentioned was apparently uh, Gene Simmons was partially responsible for giving Howie a big break when he was early in his career. Yeah. Because late 70s, early 80s, back then, a lot of times uh, entertainers, like singers, would have comedians open up for them. And Gene had seen Howie perform, I think, in Vegas or something. And he was dating Diana Ross at the time, and he's the one who got Howie the gig opening for Diana Ross because he was seeing her at that time. Huh. And uh, and also, Howie showed up at uh, the Creatures of the Night recording sessions, and apparently he's one of the gang vocal people on War Machine. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not know that. That would have been a great Beat the Geek question. Yeah, it is. Is he credited? But uh, No. Oh, okay. Not. Um. But no, it's a uh, this the only the quote that came out on Blabbermouth was Paul Stanley on why he isn't interested in writing new Kiss music. I mean, which you know he answers this a lot, but he's like he says no because at this point I came to the conclusion it can never compete with the past. Not because it's not as good, but it has hasn't the connection to important times in your life. It doesn't have that patina of to gee I remember I heard the song when I was eighteen, or I heard it on my first date or whatever. You can't compete with that. It's more than a song. It's a snapshot of your life. Now that's true but i'd also like to tell paul stanley that yeah crazy nights wasn't a big seller but if that album hadn't been out when i was 12 years old i wouldn't have become a kiss fan so and the kiss loves to brag about how it's all the new generation of the kiss army all these kids that are in the audience so put out new music for them let them get into it you know it's I don't know. It's it, it's all about money. Let's be honest here. Uh, they're no, they're not going to sell a ton though, of money because yeah, they're not going to sell a ton, and they're not going to be number one on Billboard. But damn, there's enough Kiss fans out there that would will buy it. You know, if if Kiss came out with a new album tomorrow, would you go buy it? Yeah, of course I. Would. I mean, because Me there's there's studio mat, and you know he can't sing very well anymore. But like you can do enough studio magic to pull it off and do new songs. I mean, that's that's a, the technology is certainly there to do it. You I mean, know, I I bought Sonic Boom, you know, and and, and I bought and Monster, great, you yeah. know. So why wouldn't I buy a new Kiss album? I would, you know. Am I totally happy with the way Kiss is nowadays? Again, kind of like Paul Stanley said, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be as good. But it's still Kiss, and it's still yeah. Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons writing Kiss songs. So I want to hear that. 
You know, if he's setting himself up for disappointment, I don't know what to say about that. But I think the fans are disappointed that they're never going to get another Kiss song when they still have the ability to do it. And he says, I think it's setting myself up for disappointment, not crushing disappointment, but when you put your heart and soul into doing something and it gets kind of a polite nod, there's other things I'd rather do. Now, that's so that's what tells me that it's all about dollars and cents to those guys. It's not about the creative process anymore. To me, there's a lot of heritage bands that put out new records that are great, and yeah. they're yeah, they're not going to sell what they sold in the 80s, but they, they're obviously getting something out of it if they're still putting stuff out. Like You think as a musician you'd still want to do something and put it out there for the people that do appreciate it. Sure, I mean, you know, Chips Enough is putting out solo albums. Is he selling a lot? No. But is it making his fans happy? Yeah, you know. So Paul Stanley and Kiss are on a way bigger level than that. They're going to sell way more records than that, and it's going to make their fans happy. So what's the problem? One, either you don't have the goods to do it, or two, you'd be like, you know, we work so hard on this album, and it's still not as good as Classic 78. We give it up. <laughs> right. Yeah, I I don't I just get the vibe that they're not into the creative process of writing songs anymore, and that's fine if they're if they're not. They've certainly earned their right to to rest on their laurels. Well, sure, but, you can't force them to do it, but you know it's yeah. not like back in the day when record companies come around and be like, "Hey, time for a new album." We just put it out last year. I don't care. Time for a new album. Nobody's doing that with Kiss no more. To come tell them, "Hey, it's time. You need to put out a new album." Right. Next story, uh, in a new interview with Arizona Republic, Brett Michaels has admitted he isn't necessarily in a rush to get back into the studio with Poison. Uh, Their their last collection of original material, Holly Weird, came out 20 years ago. And uh, he says, I know I could get outvoted on this, but I said, guys, I beg you, let's just write a straight-up rock song and nothing but a good time, but modern, talk dirty to me. A great guitar riff, good lyrics, a hook in the chorus, just something that's fun for us to write. And who knows, maybe it could be a modern day you shook me all night long. Um, But he says, then he also goes on to say, you give us a whole album, you'll get the best prize fight you've ever seen. So basically, he's admitting that they can't stand each other long enough to make a record together. Man, that sucks. Well, because I suppose Brad would come in and be like, you know, I get 70% 70 and the other guys each get, you know, 10%. And then that's going to cause bad feelings right off the bat. And, you know, that kind of probably messes up the creative. If I'm only getting 10%, do I want to give all my best stuff? Probably not. From a business perspective, I get it. If I'm in a business with another person and we split everything 70-30 and that guy don't work as hard as I do, is that good inspiration for me to bring my best? No. No, I'm going to have resentment. I'm going to be mad, you know. Why am I working so hard when this guy's making all the money off of it? Yeah. And again, you know, how many albums is Poison going to sell? Probably not as many as Kiss would. Probably not. I mean, he, he does go on to he does go on to compliment the guys and everything. He, he said that they they that they do get along, but they're very uniquely different personalities and everything. But basically, don't hold your breath for a new Poison record. I think uh, you might get a song or two out of them, but uh, it seems like that's the way things are looking for those guys. Yeah. Well, it's too bad. You know, if we learn anything from the pandemic, a band can create an album without ever even being in the same room. Yeah, for sure. Why can't Poison do that, you know? And again, if Brett Michaels comes out with an album or Poison comes out with an album, which one sells more? Yeah. I would like to think Poison would sell more than a Brett Michaels solo album. I would, yeah, I would think so. Because <laughs> I'm not, if Brett Michaels comes out with a new album tomorrow, am I going to go get it? Probably not. Unless there's something special about it, you know, like, yeah. I don't know what. I don't know what Brett could do on a solo album that would make me go, I got to go get that. On the other hand, if Poison comes out with a new album tomorrow, I'm going to get it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, it, it. from the economic standpoint, I mean, that's why he goes out and does the solo tours. He m- probably makes as much, if not more, money by doing it solo, and so I get why he does it. Sure, instead of splitting everything 70 for me and 30 for the other three guys, it's 99 for me and chump change for these guys that are playing these songs that, you know, they're they're nobodies, you know? Yeah. No, I'm not not saying that they're nobodies, but no name recognition, I guess I should say. Yeah. 
So uh, next story, uh, Blackie Lawless uh, put out a pretty interesting blog post about Elvis a couple weeks ago on the anniversary of his death. And um, apparently was a big, big fan of, of Elvis. And he pointed out some cool stuff, you know, about as like there's a small rarefied group of artists that have broken 100 million sales, but none of them over 200 million, but like except for Elvis and the Beatles. And yeah. then the Elvis Presley record sales sit at approximately 1.8 billion, which with a B. Um, that's pretty insane. Sure. And um, but he an interesting little thing he mentioned in this blog post was he says about 15 years ago I had the opportunity to buy Elvis's house that he owned in Palm Springs, California. Oh, wow. He says I I kick myself now for not buying it when I had the chance, but I was privileged to buy the furniture that belonged to his master bedroom. Oh, wow. I bought the I bought the bed, the chest of drawers, end tables, chairs, and lamps. I have it set up in one of my rooms in my house, and sometimes I'll go in there and just look at it and try to imagine what might have been going through his head at that point in his life. But uh, pretty interesting. Blackie Lawless has Elvis's bedroom set. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and just uh, to have it, you're like, hey, this is my Elvis room. Yeah, it don't look like an Elvis room. Yeah, well, he, this shit belonged to him. Yeah. And there's a photo on the Blabbermouth article showing the bed. It's got like a, the bedspread looks like black leather. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and he mentions how he used to... Um, go to the store with his mom and he would like put on shows for people out front of the store and impersonate Elvis doing hound dog, which wow. I'm thinking maybe, ha- maybe hound dog was the, uh, inspiration for animal fuck like a beast. <laughs> animal hump like a hound dog. Yeah. Hump like a hound dog. But yeah, That's pretty awesome though. You know, it's, it's pretty cool because like in this day and age, I don't think, I don't think Elvis is really looked at as that cool. I guess maybe it was maybe our generation more where we're into Wasp and Kiss and things like that. And Elvis just doesn't seem cool. And even back at that point, you know, being younger, I didn't think the Beatles were very cool when I was young either. You know, because they were so far from what I was into, what was new at the time. But I can appreciate Elvis and there are a few songs of his I actually dig. I mean, I don't, I don't have any Elvis on my iPod. Yeah, it just I don't know. I was I don't be the king of rock and roll. You know, he was massive at the time in his time, undeniably popular and well known. People still consider him the king of rock and roll to this day. People went nuts for Elvis. He was, you know, first of his kind and last of his kind and. You know, nobody else like him ever. Yeah, I I started listening to a little bit more of his stuff recently because we went we went on vacation and we went and saw the movie while we were on vacation. And you know, the movie you can take or leave for certain aspects. Like our friend Lee McCormick, who is like an Elvis nerd to the extreme, uh, hated the movie. Yeah, uh, which maybe it, it's probably like uh, the Motley Crue movie to us, where it's like all there's so much stuff that's wrong about it yeah, that it's yeah. kind of hard to enjoy it if you're a big fan. But I did it did give me an appreciation for his place in history, and also got back into listening to some of the, some of his stuff. There's there's some cool stuff there, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe someday I'll sit down and really give Elvis a try, but I don't know. You just don't rock hard yeah. enough for me. <laughs> Not enough distortion. Right, yeah, it needs some distortion. Like, somebody should do, like, a show where they do, like, heavy metal versions of Elvis songs. Oh, I'm sure there's metal versions out there. Didn't Danzig do something like that at one time? Yeah. Didn't he, he do, did like, a whole, a whole album? album? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, we we did do we did Rush covered in metal and Beatles covered in metal. Maybe we do an Elvis covered in metal episode. I just don't think there's that much. Uh-huh. There might, I don't know. We'll look into it. If you have suggestions, leave them in the comments. Yeah, we want clips or uh, links, I should say, to the best metal Elvis covers. Put them in the comments section. Yeah. So Dave Mustaine was in the news this week. He went on Joe Rogan's podcast for a three-hour discussion. <laughs> I got through about half of it. Um not the best interview because it goes off, which typical Joe Rogan episode, it goes off on all kinds of ridiculous tangents. But, um, yeah, if you want to watch it or listen to it, skip through the first half hour because it's all karate talk. Yeah. That's kind of boring. Um, Is Dave Mustaine a big karate guy? 
Yeah, he's been like a black belt since he was a kid, apparently. Oh, wow. Um, and they, they go into all kinds of discussion on that. But uh, no, there's the interesting thing that came out from here it, it was he talked about how uh, when asked if he went right into Megadeth after his exit from Metallica uh, or if it took time to plot his next move, he says, I think in my mind I went right into Megadeth, but at the time I was still trying to d- digest everything that took place. The thing that bothered me the most was I had all my music and I left it behind and I said, don't use my music. And of course they did. They used it on the first record, on the second record. There's parts of my music on a song on the third record. And then he says, all the so- all the solos on the first record are mine, except that they're just performed by Kirk Hammett. They're close, but not the same. And he's not a bad guitar player. Right. And then uh, when asked if he got royalties for that, he says, well, most of them, yeah, but Kirk got my royalties for Metal Militia for many, many years. And he has to, and he has to see the check. So I know somebody saw that I wasn't getting paid. So well, you think at that time, you know, as soon as that first Metallica album comes out, you think Dave would be on the phone with a lawyer. Yeah, you would think so. Like immediately. Yeah, I don't know. And that was the producer of the show brought up a picture of him and the band, uh, him and Metallica early on. And Rogan was like, does it make you feel weird to see that photo? And, He's like, yeah, he's like, well, it makes me feel kind of sad. And Rogan was like, well, why? Because of how it ended? And he's like, oh, no, I don't. He's like, I don't really care about that anymore. He's like, just seeing Cliff makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even we talked about it a little bit a few weeks back when we did the Demolicious episode about how, you know, the songs on No Life Till Leather really aren't that different to what ends up on Kill 'Em All. Mm-mm. So what he's saying has some real validity to it. Oh, I believe it. I'm sure they used a lot of his music on those first couple of records. Yeah. I mean, he was... Play it just like Dave. We like it. He was an integral writer on that early stuff. So, I mean, it's it does... Yeah. I, I still will take... I mean, I know Mechanics is his song, and Megadeth's version's okay, but Metallica totally mastered that song yeah. with Four Horsemen. It's way better yeah. to me. I suppose it's like, you know, we love his playing... We don't like the fact that he gets drunk and wants to karate us all the time. <laughs> yeah. But if it weren't for that shit, you could stay in the band. Right. Well, yeah. New Megadeth album comes out, I think, um, this week or next week. Yeah, pretty soon. Uh, yeah. Beginning of next month, I think. Yeah, coming out really soon. I'm excited for that one. Well, speaking of that, do you want to do Rockstar Birthdays? Sure. All right, we'll take a break. Let's see what we got here. So, Monday was the 22nd so i don't know exactly where in timeline this is coming out we're doing a little bit of a recording session here so we'll say last monday on the 22nd vernon reed from living color turned 64 happy birthday wow. vernon on tuesday dean DeLeo from stone temple pilots turned 61 rick springfield shares a birthday with him and he turned 73 god 73 yeah Man. On Wednesday, the 24th, happy birthday to Cora Rozic, lead singer of Cora Rozic. We talked about them not too long ago, played one of their songs. They played at Creatures Fest. Good guy. Got to meet him and talk to him. Super cool. Uh, longtime friend of the show, longtime listener, James Brendan Dunn, celebrated a birthday on Wednesday. Happy birthday, James. On Thursday, the 25th, Vivian Campbell, famous from Dio, White Snake, Def Leppard. All that good stuff. Turned 61 on Thursday. Friday is a big day in the world of rock and roll birthdays. Got Shirley Manson from Garbage turns 56. But here's two guys that you might not have realized share a birthday the same day, just a couple of years apart. On Friday, the 26th, happy birthday to everybody's favorite demon, Gene Simmons. And the metal god himself, Rob Helford. Did you know those guys shared a birthday? Well, let my kiss nerd come out here and correct you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Jeans is the 25th. Oh, is it the 25th? Yeah. Oh, okay, so maybe I got mine messed up. Well, I'm glad you're here for that. Well, I should punch myself in the balls for knowing that. So did you know that Vivian Campbell and Gene Simmons shared a birthday? (laughs) (laughs) I did not until now. (laughs) And uh, also, well, then that means Rob Helford and Phil Schaus share a birthday. Oh, cool. Happy birthday, Phil. You know, Phil from the Gene Simmons band, the Ace Fraley band, the, uh, 
Yeah, all that good stuff, except he's in currently and a longtime friend of the show, Rock and Roll Residency, all that good stuff. Happy birthday to those guys on Friday. Then on Saturday, happy birthday to Alex Lifeson from Rush, turning 69 this year. All right. Those are your rock star birthdays. Happy birthday, dear rock stars. Happy birthday to you. All right, let's talk about albums coming out next week. Got some good ones coming out on the 24th. Got the Melvins are coming out with a new album called Bad Mood Rising. Got a new album coming out on the 26th from Machine Head. Super heavy metal stuff there. It's called Of Kingdom and Crown. Uh, Santa Cruz been in the news a lot lately, but they've got a new album coming out in the studio. You don't have to lip sync. But they got a new one coming out on the 26th called Return of the Kings. Eddie Trunk will be first in line to pick that one up, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Great friends of the band there. So pick up that album and hear their live show. Yeah, there you go. See, it's perfect. <laughs> you know, Santa Cruz actually a pretty good band, and their albums have been really good over the years. And you know what? That was a band that I never knew nothing about, but thanks to the listeners of this show would always bring them up, bring them up all the time. And so I finally checked them out, and I was like, man, these guys are really good. And also uh, Perry Richardson, that was one of his six songs that you should listen to was one of their songs. That's right. That's the first time I heard of them, I think, was when he brought Mm -hmm. it up. And then everybody was like Santa Cruz crazy after that. So it's cool to see they're still around doing it, even though, you know, a little controversial in 2022. But new album coming your way. If you like them live, you'll probably love the studio album. (laughs) (laughs) I got two more here. Uh, the band Tad Morose. We've talked about them before on the yeah. show. They're pretty good, man. I like them. Uh, they got a new album coming out on the 26th called March of the Obsequious. Obse- Obsequious. Obsequious. What does that mean? It's a big word, like gymnasium. Yeah, it is. I like was typing that out, and I was like, uh, O-B-S. How do you, what is it? I don't even know what it means, let alone how to spell it. I know how to say it, obsequious, but I don't know, have a clue of what it means. Okay, well, you'll have to check with uh, Tad Morose on that. I know we got some listeners that like that band. We've talked about them on the show. They're pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I got is uh, it doesn't have a release date officially yet, but the rumor was we were supposed to be getting a new album from The Last in Line before the mm-hmm. end of the month. So we'll see if that comes true. They did put out a single of their cover of A Day in the Life by the Beatles. Oh, wow. No, I It's didn't, actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I didn't hear that. That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, check that out. Wow. So they're coming, to, they're coming to Nashville later this year, too. Yeah, right yep. on. Might have to go to that. Hopefully it's not on a Tuesday night. <laughs> we, uh, we went last time before well, I guess right around the last time we recorded Chris and his wife and myself and my wife we all went to see Hate Breed Black Label Society and Anthrax and it was an amazing show had the giant yeah, inflatable Ozzy out front beforehand and all that good stuff I called it I said I hope he's going to be there and he was yeah it was a great night had a, had a blast and yeah yeah, Anthrax was amazing. Man, I was yeah, I was really impressed with Hatebreed too. That was the first time I ever had yeah. a chance to see them. I've always liked that band as far as like when I'm in the mood for heavy stuff, I always kind of go to Pantera immediately. But there's right. other bands that come close to second when it comes to like the really heavy stuff. I love the old Metallica. I love Megadeth. I like Hatebreed. Hatebreed's another band that's like when I'm in the mood for some really heavy ass-kicking music. I can lean on some hate breed all day long. And so it was fun to see them live, and I was super impressed with them. And you could tell that they were tripped out that they were playing at the Ryman because, I mean, they called, if you're not familiar with it here in Nashville, the Ryman, they call it the Mother Church. Yeah. Because it was a church at one time, like the church in Nashville. Yep. And then over time, it got changed to a music venue, and every famous country music artist, whoever was, has played it. Yeah, it was the Grand Ole Opry for years. Right, and so then, yeah, so yeah, there you go, Grand Ole Opry. So you know what I'm talking about. It's like the mecca of country music. But I do believe this is the first time like bands of this heaviness had ever played there. 
Yeah, I mean, I've seen Tesla and some other rock stuff there, but ne- never a straight up metal show like this. So that was, it was pretty wild to see those bands in that venue. I think one of my favorite moments of the night was when we first came walking in, and Hatebreed had just started because we were like, "Oh shit, they're getting their Hatebreed's about to get out. We need to get in there." And it was like a minute into the first song, and we're like shuffling to our seats trying to hurry up and get there. And uh, I walked past one of the like uh ushers a mm-hmm. like a kindly old lady with just a horrified look on her face <laughs> like i could read her mind and she was just like what is this horrible music and you can see like some of the people that were working there were into it and were thinking it was pretty cool but that kindly old lady when we walked in with the look of sheer horror on her face really warmed my heart on the way in. I, <laughs> I really enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> well, my thought was Nashville's come a long way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's it was cool, man. Great time. Anthrax was killer. Black Label Society was awesome as always. If that show is rolling through your town, I highly recommend you go. Even yeah, if it definitely. is on a Tuesday night and you're in your 40s. You'll suffer. Uh, yeah. You'll suffer like we did, but it'll be worth it. Yeah, I felt like uh, roadkill the next day, but uh, it was worth it. Two days after, man, I think yeah. that was that was the beginning of my downfall. It was like I never truly recovered after that. Well, I didn't. I purposely didn't drink that night. I, I think I benefited from from being sober the next day. I was yeah. like, okay, I'm tired, but I'm not hungover, so I can handle this. Yeah, it <laughs> sucked because I I got up early for work that day, had been there early and stayed late the day before. I had to be there early the next morning after the show and just have never really had a chance to catch my breath since then. So talk about being knocked out of my groove for a little bit. Anthrax kicked my ass and have left me suffering ever since. But <laughs> going to see the Mooger Fuggers on vacation here pretty soon, I'll, I'll get it back. All right. So well, speaking of other uh, tours that are going on, Striper had to postpone some of their shows that are were coming up in September, and uh, very honest about the reasons why. Uh, that usually don't see bands come out and say this, but uh, it does make me worry a little bit for uh, the, the touring industry. Well, it, the touring industry is doing well, but probably too well for some bands. So what they said was, um, let me find the thing. It says. Unfortunately, there were some economic cards stacked against us. Anyone in the music business will tell you that the tour bus and later labor shortage out there were feeling it firsthand. The tour bus business is like the housing market right now with 10 times more bands trying to rent buses than are available. And you've seen the cost of gas lately. Yeah. When you're put when you're putting 10,000 plus miles on a bus as we were planning to do, gas prices absolutely matter for a tour like ours. There's some other issues at hand that played a part in our decision to postpone the tour. But um, but this is true, and I've heard this from other people that do work in the business. So basically, it's like there's an oversaturation of touring right now because everyone's trying to play catch up for being off the road for two years. Right? Yeah, I suppose you know for everything shutting down and nobody being able to tour, then all of a sudden it was like the floodgates opened. Yep. And you think about that, you don't you don't really think about that when you think about like a band going on tour. You don't really consider the costs of you know, the simple things like getting a bus and putting gas in it and driving it around. And, you know, gas prices have dropped a little bit, but they're still way high compared to they were to what they were before the pandemic. Right. So, I mean, that all plays into it. And then, like you said, if everybody's out on tour, that takes up crew members, that takes up buses, mm-hmm. that makes it difficult for a band to go okay well it used to be we'd roll into town we'd be the only show in town everybody would come see us now we roll into town there's five other shows happening the same night you know so that plays into it too i would imagine well and also venue availability yeah so you've got they're all filling up the venue so there's probably a lot of tours that can't get routed because it's like all right you've got holes now because you want to play this x city and the next city and then you can't find venues to play because they're already booked up so i you know i I get why they're doing what they're doing. They're going to push it to spring next year, and they think it'll help help it where they can get into more venues that they want to get into. But hats off to them for their honesty. At least yeah. they, they were straight up about why they, they can't do it. And, you know, it is a business. You're not selling records like you used to. So, you, you know, the road is really your main source of income. And right. if it's untenable to go out there and try to do it, then 
why do it? You right. Know? And you know what? You got to give it up to Striper too, because it would be easy for a band at that level to have an ego and not say, hey, look, you know, we're not selling albums like, like we used to. And honestly, we don't sell tickets like we used to. So we have to be very strategic about how we do things like this, where most bands would be like, ah, we're pushing through, we're going to do it. And in the end, well, we'll count up the whatever's left at the end and see what's what. But you know, we're the best, so we're going to go do it anyway. You know, you take the ego out of it and you go, okay, maybe this isn't as feasible as we thought it was. Yeah. And that's not easy for a band at that level to do, you know, to, to admit that, yeah, this might be a little tough for us to pull off, to be honest. Right. Yeah. So, so Striper is going off the road and a band that probably had the shortest retirement I've ever seen, uh, Crocus has now announced that they are unretiring and going back to playing live shows again. Nice. They're coming out to kick your ass near a volcano near you. Yeah. They're going to, I guess, September 10th, they're going to play the steps of the St. Ursus Cathedral in Solothurn, Switzerland. That sounds pretty cool. I have no idea what that is, but that sounds pretty cool. Me neither. Um, and then they're they're supposed to be playing some other some other shows. But, yeah, like they announced their retirement, what, like six months, a year ago or something? Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't long ago. <laughs> and now they're like, hey, we're back. So... <laughs> I was like, all right, well, that's kind of cool. one of those pandemic retirements. Like, we yeah. we quarantined ourselves, and now we're out. We're Crocus. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, I like Crocus. Yeah, me too. I, I, I'd go see them live. If they I would, in. too. You know, if nothing else, just to be able to say you've seen Crocus live one time. Yeah. You know, it seemed like in the 80s, so many big-name band concerts, you always see flyers and stuff for it. It's always with special guest Crocus. Yeah. I think they opened for everyone in the 80s. Yeah. Um, Here's a, a kind of a local story. I just got a couple things left here. Um, this is a, and then, you know, sometimes we need some good news. Everything doesn't have to be negative. This was a, a good one. Um, Alex Lifeson was here in town to do something with Gibson. And they, uh, let's see, they, earlier this week, Alex Lifeson, of course, from Rush and the Gibson team and representatives from the Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt and Room in the Inn gathered for a special event at the Gibson Garage. And uh, they did. Uh, they donated funds directly to two local organizations that offer vital resources to the people of Nashville. And Gibson donated guitars and gear for music therapy programs at the hospital and room in the inn. That's and awesome. Alex Lifeson is donating both current and ongoing music royalties from the sales of his recent Epiphone Les Paul Access guitar. And Gibson Gives is donating funds directly to each charity. And uh, in addition, Gibson Gives has donated guitars and much-needed gear to music therapy programs. And, uh, yeah, this is just a really cool thing. You know, Gibson gets a lot of flack for a lot of things, but I do think they've done a great job at rebuilding their image the last couple of years, and uh, this is a good thing that I think they're both doing. And it's cool to see Alex getting out there and doing stuff. Yeah, that is very cool. You know, it's always good to see, like, when you see somebody you admire, like a rock star, you're like, wow, they're doing nice things for sick people, you know, sick kids. That's great. I love yeah. it. And if, you, if you're ever in Nashville and you haven't seen the Gibson Garage, go check it out. It's really cool. What is that? I've never been. It's, uh, you know where Cummins Station is? Yeah. It's in, it's in Cummins Station. They, it's, it, oh, okay. I drive it, past it, that all the time. Yeah, it's like one of the most amazing displays of Gibson guitars you'll ever see, and they're like on a on a chain drive thing where it kind of moves the guitars all around the room by the ceiling. And then it's just, it's really cool. A lot of Gibson merch and stuff. And it's, it's really kind of a tourist destination, but yeah, I checked it out when a friend of mine came into town and, and yeah, we just had a blast looking through it. I thankfully didn't unload too much money, but yeah, I could have spent a fortune in that place. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Them sweet ass guitars aren't cheap. And I think they did, um, they did something with Rex Brown from Pantera few weeks ago i missed it but i think christopher williams was playing drums for him right yeah. on that's yeah. cool that that brings guys like that to nashville you know and helps out around mm -hmm. here i like that definitely happy birthday so, alex Lifeson. yeah that's right so last story and i had to bring this up because we haven't had a chance to talk in depth about this new ugly kid joe single long road got released this past week and uh your response when uh, i sent you the link was country kid joe yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Maybe, 
Maybe my expectations for Ugly Kid Joe are too high because they are just so high on my list of bands that I love. The first release didn't really, it was okay, I thought. Mm-hmm. And then this one came out and I was like, ooh, I don't really care for this one too much. I don't know if my expectations are too high because they've never let me down before. Like the last time they came out with a new album, like everything they released leading up to it, like the last two, you know, everything they released like single wise beforehand got me excited. You know, I was like, hell yeah. You know, if the rest of the album's like this song that they released, I can't wait. This one's not turning out that way for me. Yeah. It's a it's a different song for them. It definitely was not what I was expecting when they put it out, but I don't know. It's the last song on the record on the track listing, so I don't know. Maybe uh, they just... Sometimes bands like to go out with... It's not really a ballad, but it's almost kind of folky sounding. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's a little different. You know, it's like when they did uh, America's Least Wanted and they ended the album with Mr. Record Man. Yeah. That's kind of a country song, sort of. Yeah. Odd choice for a single, though. I'm kind of yeah, surprised. Yeah, because it's out. not what you expect from Ugly Kid Joe, you know. And so, I guess, you know, if you're trying to reach out to get some, somebody new to come check it out, maybe that works. But for people like me, they're like, well, that guy is going to buy the album anyway. You know, no matter what, he's going to go buy it. And yeah. maybe all the rest of the songs are for me. But that one song might be to try to grab somebody different. But I don't know. Are those people going to go, I really love that song, The Long Road. I'm going to go pick up the new Ugly Kid Joe album and then put it in and hit play and be like, what? You know, (laughs) this ain't nothing like what I liked, you know, about this band. Yeah. It's weird. It's It's weird. I know. Kind of puts an even bigger question mark on what the full record's going to sound like, doesn't it? Big question mark in my brain. I'm I'm worried. I don't care. Release a whole country album. Just come in the United States and play it. We're crying out loud. Yeah, no kidding. Still uh, to this day, no Ugly Kid Joe show dates for the United States. Like I said, Loose Cannon and I are hoping that our new episode of ACLC inspires that band to come back to the United States. They're going to hear that episode. They're going to be like, you know what? It's time. It's time to go back home. Come back home, so we, Ugly Kid Joe. So we know where the credit goes if they do it. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, man. Well, that's all I got for uh, new noises this week. All right. Well, there you have it. We told you the good, the bad, the ugly, the ridiculous, and Sammy Hagar's dreams. Jeez. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's all here on Decibel Geek New Noise. Rock and roll. Keep making it. We'll keep reporting right here. And we'll catch you guys next time. See ya. What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there. Sharing plates with... Just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.